Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the dancing chicken next to me is Ellen. That is a cheap intro. A cheap, cheap intro. Well, what can I say? You're just cheap. That is unnecessary and uncalled for. Yeah, they can't all be high flyers. Wait, chickens don't fly. Shit. On that note, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered chapter 29, the dream, and the four lines of film scenes that kind of, sort of, corresponded. Ron's theories have become less and less likely over time, especially when Crumb is concerned. Harry misses the simple days when his biggest worry was dodging Dudley's smelting stick. The twins adhere to a strict don't-ask-don't-tell policy. Time seems to pass at a snail's pace when the trio aren't able to meddle. Moody continues to be creepy supportive of Harry being the champion. Sirius is just trying to look out for his dog son, but the boy wants nothing to do with safety. And Dumbledore's mic drop on Fudge has everyone feeling the heat from that burn. During episode 102, Suck It, Corny! Our Potter pondering was, considering that this movie likes to show dreams, what do you think about them basically leaving this entire chapter out of the film? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. I honestly have no clue why they left this, you know, particular dream, air quotes, out of the film, seeing as it, you know, kind of ties in the narrative there kind of spinning about his body just laying around in the forest or would that have been just a little too much you know that would have been too much information if we found his body in the forest and then Harry has a dream of Voldy like ooh, and he's dead and huh maybe I don't know hey guys Mike calling in for the Potter Pondering I feel like I'm going to say for this pondering basically what I say for every pondering where it's stupid that they changed it. I hate that they changed it. Why can't you just leave it alone? There's a freaking book right there. Just use that. Come on, guys. Hashtag stop sucking so much. Other than that, I mean, this one was, I guess, especially annoying because, like, they did so many dreams that just didn't contribute in any way to the plot, and then they miss out on the one dream that, like, actually made a difference, and that was super frustrating. But really, it just boils down to these guys suck at translating books and movies, and I wish they'd done it better. Anyway, that's it for me. Bye. Hey guys, Jackson here. So, yeah, for a movie that focused so much on the dreams, they really dropped the ball when it came to this chapter. The Dream, it's literally right there in the title. And, you know, this dream revealed things that were important in the overall storyline you know not only about you know what's happening in this book but as you pointed out it points out things that will be talked about in the future the connection between harry's and voldemort's minds i mean why would you leave out such an important thing and 
<sighs> Newell. That's pretty much it. That's what we're going to be doing for pretty much this film and the rest for a lot of things. We're going to be yelling the director's names in frustration. So, Newell, you buggered it. <laughs> Little Aussie saying, you buggered it. Thank you so much for calling in your responses. Don't forget you can also post answers on our Facebook page, Post 2. They may not make it into the episode anymore, but we do make it a point to read them and respond. Our trivia question last week was, where did Augustus Rookwood work within the ministry? According to Barty Crouch, Augustus Rookwood worked in the Department of Mysteries. Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller. Woohoo! Jackson is on his seventh week in a row. Damn! But this one was actually a really close one. Both Dave and Sarah were mere minutes behind him. Will one of them stop his streak this week? That rhymed. I liked it. <laughs> Good luck, everyone. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 30, The Pensive, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 30, The Pensive, Part 1. Dumbledore's office door opens, and Moody greets Harry and tells him to come in. Harry walks inside the beautiful circular room and sees Cornelius Fudge standing beside Dumbledore's desk, wearing his usual pinstripe cloak and holding his lime green bowler hat. Fudge greets Harry jovially and asks how he is. Harry lies, saying that he's fine, and Fudge continues to talk, explaining that they were just discussing the night Crouch turned up on the grounds, asking about Harry being the one who found him. Harry says that he was, and deciding not to pretend he hadn't heard them talking, he added that he didn't see Madame Maxime anywhere and it would have been hard for her to hide. Fudge looks embarrassed, but says that they are about to walk the grounds and suggests that Harry goes back to class. Harry looks at Dumbledore and tells him that he wants to talk to him, and the headmaster says for him to wait for him there, since their examination of the grounds shouldn't take too long. The three men leave and Harry looks around the office, saying hello to Dumbledore's Phoenix Fox, before sitting down in the chair in front of the desk. He watches the portraits of the old headmasters and headmistresses and thinks over what he just heard, feeling calmer now that he's about to tell Dumbledore what happened. Looking around, he sees the patched sorting hat, a silver sword set with large rubies, and then notices a glimmer of silvery white light reflecting on the glass case. He looks for the source and finds it shining from within a black cabinet that had not been properly closed. Harry gets up and heads to the cabinet, pulling the door open and finding a shallow stone basin carved around the edge with unfamiliar runes and symbols. The silvery light is coming from in the basin, which appears to be holding a substance that Harry can't distinguish from liquid or gas. He wants to touch it, but has learned that it would be foolish, and instead prods the contents with his wand. The silvery stuff begins to swirl and become transparent. Harry leans forward to look in, expecting to see the bottom of the basin, but instead sees an enormous, dimly lit room. He leans in closer and notices rows and rows of witches and wizards seated in benches lining all of the walls. There's an empty chair in the middle of the room with chains encircling its arms, and all of the adults seem to be waiting for something. 
Unsure of where this room is and what everyone is waiting for, he leans closer trying to get a good look in the corners. His nose touches the surface and Dumbledore's office gives a lurch as he's thrown forward into the basin. But his head does not hit the stone bottom. Instead, Harry finds himself sitting on a bench in the room. He looks up, expecting to see the round hole in the ceiling where he had been looking in, but there is only dark, solid stone. Harry looks around, surprised that none of the 200 witches and wizards seem to have noticed that a 14-year-old boy just fell into the room. He turns to the wizard next to him and is shocked to see Albus Dumbledore. He whispers an attempted explanation to the professor, but Dumbledore doesn't move or speak. Harry remembers another time that he found himself where no one could hear or see him when he fell through the pages of an enchanted diary, right into someone else's memory, and wonders if this is something similar. He waves his hand in front of Dumbledore's face, and when he doesn't move, Harry is sure that's what it must be, because Dumbledore would never ignore him like that. He looks around more carefully, trying to figure out where he is, but before he can come to any conclusions, he hears footsteps. A door in the corner of the dungeon opens, and a tall man, flanked by two Dementors, heads towards the middle of the room. People recoil as they pass by, and after the horrible creatures place the man in the chair, they glide back out. Harry looks at the man in the chair and realizes that it's a much younger Karkaroff. A curt voice addresses him as Igor Karkaroff, and Harry looks to see Mr. Crouch standing up in the middle of the bench beside him. He also looks younger, more fit and alert, and continues speaking, saying that Karkaroff has been brought there from Azkaban to present evidence to the Ministry of Magic. Karkaroff sits up as much as he can and says that he wishes to be of use to the Ministry as they try to round up the last of the Dark Lord's supporters. As he says that he's eager to assist, Harry hears a familiar voice growl that he is filth. He leans forward to look past Dumbledore and sees Mad-Eye Moody, but with two normal eyes. Moody quietly tells Dumbledore that Crouch has made a deal with Karkaroff to let him off if he's got enough new names. He thinks that they should just hear the information and then throw him back to the Dementors, but Dumbledore makes a noise of dissent because he does not like the Dementors. They return their attention to Crouch as he asks to hear the names from Karkaroff, who explains that you-know-who operated in the greatest secrecy and they never knew the names of everyone. Crouch asks again that he does have some names, and Karkaroff says that he does, that he gives the information as a sign that he fully renounces him and is filled with deep remorse. Crouch cuts him off again to request the names, and Karkaroff takes a deep breath before naming Antonin Dolohov. When he learns the Ministry has already apprehended him, Harry can tell it's a real blow that one of his names is useless. He hurriedly continues on to name Evan Rosier, and Crouch informs him that Rosier is dead, killed in the struggle as they tried to take him in. Moody again whispers to Dumbledore, saying he took a bit of him with him as he gestures to the large chunk taken out of his nose. Karkaroff is panicking now and mentions Travers, Mulsabur, and Rookwood. And with the third name, it's clear by the reaction in the crowd that he's struck gold. Crouch asks if he means Augustus Rookwood of the Department of Mysteries, and Karkaroff confirms this. 
Mr. Crouch tells him that they already have Travers and Mulsaber and that they will return him to Azkaban while they decide. But Karkaroff cuts him off to insist he has more before shouting Severus Snape. Crouch tells him that Snape has been cleared by the council, but Karkaroff again shouts that Severus Snape is a Death Eater. At this point, Dumbledore stands and says that he's already given evidence on this matter, that Snape was indeed a Death Eater, but rejoined their side before Lord Voldemort's downfall and turned spy for them at great personal risk. Harry looks at Mad-Eye, who looks extremely skeptical, and Crouch again says he will review Karkaroff's case. His voice fades away as the dungeon dissolves around Harry into swirling darkness and then reforms, putting Harry in a different seat. The atmosphere is much more relaxed than before, with all of the witches and wizards talking to one another, almost like they were at a sporting event. Harry looks around and notices a younger Rita Skeeter across the way, still with blonde hair, magenta robes, and sucking on the end of an acid green quill. Mr. Crouch looks more tired, gaunt, and fierce, and Harry understands that it's a different memory from a different day. The door in the corner opens and Ludo Bagman walks in, but not the Bagman Harry knows. This Bagman is tall, lean, and muscular. He looks nervous as he sits in the chain chair, but when it doesn't bind him, he relaxes a little and waves at a few people in the crowd. Mr. Crouch announces that he's been brought in front of the Council of Magic to answer charges relating to activities with Death Eaters, and asks if he has anything to add to his testimony before they pronounce judgment. Harry can't believe that Ludo Bagman could be a Death Eater. The Quidditch player speaks up and says that he knows he's been a bit of an idiot, and several witches and wizards smile indulgently. Crouch does not seem to share their feelings, and neither does Moody, who mutters to Dumbledore that he's never spoken a truer word. Crouch says that Ludovic Bagman was caught passing information to Lord Voldemort's supporters, and Bagman again speaks up to insist that he had no idea. Rookwood was an old friend of his dad's, and it never crossed his mind that he would be in with you-know-who, especially since he kept talking about getting him a job at the ministry when his Quidditch days are over since he can't keep getting hit by bludgers for the rest of his life. The crowd titters and Crouch calls for a vote for those in favor of imprisonment. Not a single person raises a hand, and then one witch stands to congratulate Mr. Bagman on his splendid performance for England against Turkey the previous week. Mr. Crouch is furious and tells Dumbledore that it will be a sad day when Ludo Bagman joins the ministry, and then the dungeon dissolves again. When it returns, Harry and Dumbledore are sitting next to Mr. Crouch and a frail witch whose dry sobs are the only thing breaking the silence. Crouch looks even gaunter than before as he calls for them to bring them in. The door in the corner opens and six Dementors enter, flanking a group of four people. There are now four chain chairs in the middle of the dungeon for the four prisoners. A thick-set man, a nervous-looking thinner man, a woman with thick dark hair and hooded eyes, and a younger pale boy in his late teens with straw-colored hair. Mr. Crouch stands and begins to declare that they had been brought before the Council of Magical Law for the extremely heinous crime of using the Cruciatus Curse on the Auror, Frank Longbottom. The boy begins to plead with Crouch, begging for his father not to send him back to the Dementors, and insisting that he didn't do it. 
Crouch begins to yell over his pleas that they are further accused of using the Cruciatus curse on Longbottom's wife, Alice, attempting to get information to restore he who must not be named to power. The boy begins screaming to his mother instead as the wispy blonde begins rocking back and forth. Crouch yells over the screaming if the jury agrees that they deserve a life sentence in Azkaban, and they all raise their hands in unison. The boy continues screaming that he didn't do it as the Dementors glide back into the room. The other three prisoners stand quietly, and the woman with the heavy-lidded eyes looks at Crouch and calls out that the Dark Lord will rise again, and he will reward them, for they alone were faithful and tried to find him. But the boy continues yelling and struggles with the Dementors. He looks at Crouch and screams that he is his son. And Crouch bellows back that he is not his son, he has no son. And the wispy witch faints in the seat beside him. He doesn't seem to notice as he yells for the Dementors to take them away. And Barty Crouch Jr. continues to plead with his father and insists that he wasn't involved. A voice then tells Harry that it's time to return to his office and he turns to see an Albus Dumbledore sitting to his right and an Albus Dumbledore on his left looking right at him. The movie scene starts right as Mad-Eye Moody magically opens the door to let Harry into Dumbledore's office. Cornelius Fudge drops his agitated tone and greets Harry in delight. Harry steps into the office and tells his headmaster that he can come back later if need be, but Dumbledore insists that he and the minister are done, saying he will be back in a moment. Fudge looks a bit affronted as Dumbledore offers him his hat, and he, the headmaster, and Mad-Eye Moody all head out of the office. Dumbledore pauses to tell Harry he can help himself to the licorice snaps in his absence, and warns him that they are a wee bit sharp. He walks out, and Moody limps after him, stopping only to magically close the door after him as he silently stares at Harry. Harry watches as the door closes, and then looks around before reaching for a handful of licorice snaps. He picks one out of the pile and it leaps into the air, brandishing little fangs that it sinks into Harry's hand. He shakes it off and backs into a large cabinet as the rest start to attack him as well. They fall to the ground and he starts trying to step on them, falling down to his hands and knees to get at them. As he struggles, he hears the cabinet open and turns to look at it. There is a blue-white light emerging from a bowl and Harry stands up and moves towards it finding it filled with a shining liquid, swirling with silvery strands of light. He pulls out his wand and prods the surface, which spirals into a gold-colored scene that appears to be inside the large container. Harry's reflection shows over top the room that appears, and he screams as it transitions to him falling into the room. He lands in a seat right next to Dumbledore and looks around at a crowded room before noticing him. Dumbledore does not appear to see him, even when Harry says, Professor? And then Harry is even more shocked when another wizard greets Dumbledore as Professor and sticks out his hand to shake his. The wizard's hand goes right through Harry's body, and Harry looks around in confusion and feels his chest in concern. The scene shifts to show that the room is perfectly round, with witches and wizards and piles of paperwork positioned around a cage in the middle. The camera zooms into the cage as a prison-clothes-clad Igor Karkaroff rises from beneath into it. He looks around as Barty Crouch addresses him, saying that he has been brought from Azkaban at his own request to present evidence to the council. If the evidence is useful, the council may be prepared to order his immediate release, but until that time, he remains a convicted Death Eater. 
Harry watches in awe as Crouch asks if Karkaroff accepts those terms. Karkaroff says he does wish to accept them, and when Crouch asks what he wishes to present, he says that he has names, listing Rosier, Evan Rosier first. Crouch informs him that Rosier is dead, and the camera focuses on Dumbledore as a younger Mad-Eye Moody leans forward and says that Rosier took a bit of him with him. Karkaroff says that he didn't know and insists that he has more, saying Rookwood was a spy. The camera shows Rita Skeeter taking notes as Crouch is surprised to learn this, confirming that he means Augustus Rookwood of the Department of Mysteries. Karkaroff says yes, that he passed information to you-know-who from inside the Ministry itself. Crouch tells him that the Council will deliberate and says Karkaroff will be returned to Azkaban in the meantime. Panicking, Karkaroff begs him to wait, saying that he has more. He tells the Council about Severus Snape, and Professor Dumbledore stands to announce that he has given evidence on this matter. Severus Snape was a Death Eater, but prior to Lord Voldemort's downfall, turned spy for them at great personal risk. Karkaroff tries to cut Dumbledore off, screaming that it's a lie. Severus remains faithful to the Dark Lord. But Dumbledore continues speaking, saying that today Snape is no more a Death Eater than he is. Crouch bangs his gavel and yells for silence and says that unless the witness possesses any genuine name, the session is now concluded. Karkaroff calms down and informs Crouch that he has heard about one more. He says that he knows for a fact that the person took part in the capture and by means of the Cruciatus curse, the torture of the Auror Frank Longbottom and his wife. As Crouch demands the name, a well-dressed man stands up from the crowd and attempts to walk away. Before he makes it too far, Karkaroff yells, Barty Crouch! And the man freezes in his tracks. Rita Skeeter's mouth drops open as Barty Crouch looks completely confused, and Karkaroff finishes the name by saying, Junior. The well-dressed man makes a dash for the exit and is thwarted by Mad-Eye Moody, who casts a spell at him. Barty Crouch Jr. falls into a crowd of people who attempt to restrain him as the rest of the onlookers react in noisy surprise. Crouch Jr. demands that they get their filthy hands off him as several wizards attempt to drag him out and they hesitate directly in front of Crouch Sr. As he greets his father, his tongue flicks to the corner of his mouth several times and Crouch Sr. insists that he is no son of his. Crouch Jr. flicks his tongue a few more times before screaming and being pulled away. For scenes that timing-wise line up as well as they do, it's amazing just how different they actually are. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's the same, but nothing's the same. Nothing at all. You literally get all the same information, but in a completely different way. Yeah, it's a completely different package. Entirely. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Gives us a lot to talk about, though. Well, yay. Yay. <laughs> In the book, Dumbledore's office door opens and Moody greets Harry and tells him to come in. Hey! The movie scene begins right as Mad-Eye Moody magically opens the door to let Harry into Dumbledore's office. <gasps> it's the same! <gasps> what? That's where it ends. Because then Cornelius Fudge stops being a little bitch momentarily and greets Harry like nothing is wrong. Actually, that is kind of the same. Because Harry walks into the beautiful circular room and sees Cornelius Fudge standing beside Dumbledore's desk. He's got his usual pinstripe cloak holding his lime green bowler hat, and he even greets Harry like nothing's wrong at all. But that's where it ends. <laughs> yeah. In the book, he's like, how are you, Harry? And Harry's just like, I'm good. 
<laughs> I didn't just have a bad dream that was actually probably something that really happened that means I'm going to die. So right. things are looking great. Well, I mean, he didn't in the movie. He, True. <laughs> he did just find a dead body, but no dream. So yay. All around good times for Harry Potter. Pretty much. Fudge keeps on talking, saying that they were just talking about the night Crouch went missing from the grounds because, you know, it's not the same night here in the book. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Well, I mean, there is a deleted scene that could maybe kind of possibly sort of go here. But there are some weird inconsistencies, so we weren't entirely sure where to put it. Yeah, if anything, it would have gone in between Harry finding Crouch and Harry showing up at Dumbledore's office. Yeah. But also there are weird inconsistencies with the scars on his face from the second task. Yeah. It's a whole thing. But in this deleted scene, it's basically Hermione, Ron, and Harry in the Gryffindor common room discussing how Harry should go and see Dumbledore and tell him about all these things that are happening. Including the dreams and including Crouch being dead, obviously, and all these other weird things. His scar hurting. Right. Things like that. And that would explain why Harry was heading to Dumbledore's office. Yes. And why those in Dumbledore's office already knew about Crouch, even though the way they edited it together, it looked like Harry was showing up there right after seeing Crouch. So maybe this wasn't the best scene to delete? It really wasn't because the clothing was off because Harry was still in his outfit from the second task when he found Crouch. And then he shows up at Dumbledore's office and he's wearing his usual ringer t-shirt and jacket. Yeah. So time was supposed to have passed, but it just wasn't well done the way they cut it together. No, it really wasn't. I mean, if you're not paying attention, sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? But we're paying attention. Exactly. Anyway, this deleted scene maybe explains it, maybe doesn't. Anyway, let's get back to the actual episode at hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, those similarities really didn't last long, did they? Partially because Movie Fudge did not get the awesome lime green bowler hat. I'm still bummed out about that. Right? That would have been great. Lime green. Lime. It's just so random. It would have been glorious. Yeah. But there's also no mention of Harry being the one to find Crouch. Well, of course not. It just happened. Very true. How do they even know at this point? (laughs) He steps in the office and tells his headmaster that he can come back later if need be, because it's super awkward to walk in on your parents fighting. Right. But Dumbledore insists that they are done, basically telling the minister to fuck off. That's what I heard. Right? In the book, Harry says that, yes, I did find Crouch, because again... This is several days later. Yes. He also decides that there's no point in pretending like he couldn't hear him talking through the door, Mm -hmm. which we talked about in the previous episode. And he was just like, yeah, so it hurts you being prejudiced to Madame Maxime because she's half giant, even though she doesn't admit that she's half giant. And I just wanted to say, I didn't see her anywhere and she'd have a job hiding, wouldn't she now? (laughs) Oh, sassy Harry. I love it. It actually makes Fudge look embarrassed. And Harry also sees a little twinkle in Dumbledore's eye, which I love. Well, yeah. But the very embarrassed Fudge is just like, yeah, well, we're about to walk the ground. So maybe you should go back to class. Uh, How about maybe you should be the one to fuck off, son? How about maybe you should get some class? Ooh, burn. 
Harry looks at Dumbledore and he's like, actually, I needed to talk to you. And Dumbledore tells him just to wait there since it shouldn't take him too long to check over the grounds. Sure. The three men leave and Harry does what Harry does and starts looking around the office. You can't meddle if you don't open your eyes. Right. Just saying. Right. How do you pass up that opportunity? Mm -mm. He says hello to Fox, who has literally saved his life before. So damn straight you greet that phoenix, Harry. Hell yeah. It's the least you can do. And then he sits down in the chair in front of Dumbledore's desk and just watches all of the portraits of the old headmasters and headmistresses pretending to sleep, probably. I'm <laughs> sure they were awake for that whole conversation. Oh, hell yeah. I would have been. How do you even sleep through that? Right. But he just keeps thinking about what he dreamt and what he overheard. And he feels better now because he knows he's about to talk to the all-powerful, all-knowing <laughs> Dumbledore about what happened. Yeah, it's not how it happened in the movie. In the movie before they leave, Dumbledore offers Harry some candy that most parents would toss right out of your Halloween bag. He calls them a wee bit sharp. I would have told Harry that they have a bit of a bite to them. Oh, jeez. Fuck off. <laughs> gosh. Yes, I realize it's just a gosh. <laughs> That's how frustrating you are. You make me say gosh, Ellen. Aw. <laughs> Gee willikers. <laughs> Shucks. He leaves and Moody skulks after him and magically closes the door after him as he gives Harry the eye. You know... The Mad Eye. The Mad Eye. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Harry reaches for a handful of some extremely violent-ass candy. Which, side note, those things look like fucking leeches. Why are you even trying to eat them? Don't. Just don't. And being so greedy about it, too, he, like, takes a whole handful of them. No wonder they attack him. One could say he bit off more than he could chew. Or, and hear me out, you could just fuck right off. Just like Harry wants the liquor leeches to fuck off. To be fair, the liquor leeches need to fuck off. I like it here. Fine, you can stay, but those liquor leeches really do need to fuck off. Especially after they knock him into a cabinet. He aggressively starts stomping at them as they all scatter, and instead of just letting the fuckers go, he decides to crawl under a table to get at them. Well, he's gotta get rid of the evidence. He can't just let liquor leeches roam around Dumbledore's office. That's why he shouldn't have been so greedy. Just saying. Though, I always figured that Dumbledore offered him candy so that he would take a handful and end up stomping on the floor and accidentally open the cabinet so he could meddle. I can see how you thought that, but I don't think it worked. I mean, it kind of did. I mean, as a story plot device, I could see how maybe they were trying to do that, but it didn't quite... It all just looked weird. It's also not remotely how it happened in the book. Though Harry does do some similar meddling. Like he does. Like he does. <laughs> he looks around, first noticing the sorting hat, just hanging out on the shelf. Sure. He also sees a very familiar looking silver sword with large rubies set in the hilt, which he would recognize from some previous meddling. What? And then, then... In the reflection of the glass case, he notices this shining silvery light and naturally just goes, what is this? <laughs> I must meddle. He looks around to see where it's coming from and sees a black cabinet that is partially opened. Hmm. 
It is similar in the movie. The cabinet is emitting a come-hither blue light that calls to him. Come. Come, metal. And who is Harry to say no? Yeah, if he said no, who is Harry anymore? He's no longer Harry. Right? He's some weird bitch that doesn't meddle. Right? And then the book is a lot shorter. <laughs> a lot shorter. <laughs> Still being similar, mm -hmm. in the book, he is also unable to stop himself from meddling. Makes sense. So he goes straight to the cabinet, opens the door the rest of the way, and is like, what is this? <laughs> and he finds a shallow stone basin, which has runes and symbols carved around the edge. And since he hasn't taken any classes that would tell him anything about that, like Hermione has, he has no idea what it says. Not a damn dicky bird. Which just makes him more curious. Mm -hmm. The silvery light is coming from within the basin. And it's filled with a substance that Harry can't tell if it's gas or liquid. In the movie, he walks towards it and finds a bowl of silvery liquid that, for some reason, he waves his wand over. In the book, it's because he's learned it's stupid to touch things when you don't know what they are. I mean, that makes sense. I'll give you that, but it's also stupid to just randomly meddle. But it is his second greatest superpower, so he has to touch it. Well, that is true. And because he's trying to be somewhat smart about it, he uses the tip of his wand to do it. Just the tip, though. <laughs> <laughs> to his surprise, a scene materializes in the liquid. Harry then falls into it, landing in a large room right next to a younger Dumbledore. Well, slightly younger looking. Not really, though. Yeah, he's no Jude Law. Unfortunately for all of us. Yumbledore. Umbledore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He tries to speak to him, but soon realizes that he apparently isn't really there when someone's hand shoots through his chest to shake hands with Dumbledore. When the man departs, Harry pats his chest to make sure he's actually still solid. I love the look on his face during that part. Mm -hmm. Even though it's not how it happened in the book, it still was entertaining. It's Yeah, he's like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And this is quite different from the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same thing happens, but it happens in a completely different way. Because the silvery stuff begins to swirl and it becomes transparent, mm -hmm. which kind of similar. Kind of, yeah. Kind of happens that way. And Harry looks down into it thinking he's going to see the bottom of the stone basin and instead sees an enormous room. It's kind of dim, probably just lit with torches or something. Mm -hmm. And he leans closer where he can see rows of witches and wizards. And they're all in this like, it's like stadium seating within... Yeah. The room, like lining the walls. And there is one empty chair in the middle of the room that has chains attached to the arms. And all of the adult witches and wizards there seem to be waiting for something. And it seems kind of tense. Pretty thick air. Yeah. Yeah. So Harry's like, where the fuck is this room? I've never seen anything like this here at Hogwarts. And there's definitely not this many adults here. We know the kids outnumber the adults. Yeah, true. However, always something new to learn at Hogwarts. It's true, especially when you metal bunch. Mm-hmm. So he leans closer to the gas liquid swirly room thing. 
And he's really trying to get a good look in the corners of the room because the opening of this basin is round, so he can't get a full view. And in the process of doing this, he gets so close to it that the tip of his nose touches it. So he won't put his hand in, but sure, let's just shove our face up in that bitch. Well, to be fair, sticking his wand in instead of sticking his hand in was smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Sticking his nose in was a literal side effect of meddling. Yeah, he really should have just expected it by now. Because he stuck his nose in somebody else's business. I got it. Uh Uh-huh. Are you proud? I'm so proud. Okay. Well, go on with yourself then, honey. So he feels himself falling and just expects that he's going to, like, head first slam to the stone floor that he saw down in this room. But instead, he just finds himself sitting on a bench in the room. Hmm. That's lucky. He looks up thinking that he's going to see the hole he fell through up in the ceiling. And it's not there. Hmm. Interesting. He's trapped. He also notices that not a single person. There's like 200 witches and wizards in here. And not a one of them has given any indication that a 14 year old wizard just fell into the room. So it's pretty awkward for him, but at least no one notices. Right. (laughs) Awkward, not necessarily embarrassing. There you go. He turns to the wizard next to him and realizes it's his headmaster. Well, that's like an oh shit moment. Hope he wore his brown pants. (laughs) Yeah, definitely an oh shit moment. He tries to explain what he's doing there to Dumbledore, but the headmaster doesn't even look at him, doesn't even react Seems to have no idea that Harry's even there. So, I mean, sounds like he lucked out there, I guess. Well, it reminds him of a time that he fell into an enchanted diary and nobody could see or hear him there either. And that ended really well, if I remember correctly. No, it actually didn't. But maybe this time it will. You never know. Wonders never cease. He decides to test this theory by just waving his hand right in front of Dumbledore's (laughs) face. And then when he doesn't react, he's just like, all right, dude would never ignore me like that. This has got to be a memory. In the movie, we then get a better look at the room Harry is sitting in. It's a big ass amphitheater type room. So similar to the book. And it's got a small round cage in the center with piles of papers surrounding it. Which y'all need a better filing system. Mm-hmm. Just saying. But then there's also wizards and witches clamoring to find seats in the cavia all over the place. We then hear a mysterious ticking noise. Hopefully it's not a pipe bomb. And we see a quite defeated looking Igor Karkaroff rise up into the cage from a hole in the floor. Essentially. In what is undoubtedly a violation of the Geneva Convention, guards begin to tighten screws that hold Karkaroff in place with spikes like spikes yeah the book does not have any fancy chairs that lift up through the floor into a cage Mm -mm. there's no spikes there's no cage for that matter yeah it's just a chair with chains in the middle of the room the chains do bind him yeah but that's logical that's still not as bad as spikes yeah karkaroff can't even like slouch right like, he has to stand perfectly still in this cage because he's like, it's like the Chokey in Matilda. Yes. That's what it reminds me of. And in the book, you kind of get the impression that he has to slouch. So we'll end up talking about that. Yeah. But at this point, Karkaroff is also not in that chair. It's just an empty chair. Mm-hmm. And 
while Harry's looking around trying to figure out where he is, a door opens in the corner and two Dementors walk in with a man who turns out to be Karkaroff. Although Harry doesn't realize that until he makes it to the chair. Yeah. That doesn't happen in the movie. And for that matter, there's no Dementors in the movie. And even if they were, they still shouldn't be fucking flying in there if they were. Just saying. Right. They just glide. No flying. There's no flying and dementing. <laughs> Are you flying? <laughs> There's no flying. There's no flying and dementing. It's flying, sir. <laughs> but anyway, the dementors glide Karkaroff to the chair. Mm-hmm. And it's when he sits down there that Harry gets a good look at him. And it's like, holy shit, that's a younger Karkaroff. <laughs> He doesn't look really younger in the movie at all. Like, at all. <laughs> none of them really did. Obviously, none of them did, but just saying. The book really specified that everybody clearly looked younger. Yeah. I mean, this is over a decade, so mm-hmm. they should. Right. But at least that part's the same, that it is, in fact, Karkaroff in the chair. Hey, baby steps, guys. Right? A curt voice says, Igor Karkaroff. You've been brought here from the band to present evidence to the Ministry of Magic. From the band. And that came from Mr. Crouch, who also looks younger, more fit, and more alert. Not in the movie. No. No. (laughs) Looks just as Nazi as he looked when Harry found him dead. Other than that, kind of similar. Kind of. Kind of, a little bit. He looks around as Barty Crouch addresses him, saying that he has been brought from Azkaban because his bitch ass is ready to snitch. And in so doing, if any of his accusations are true, he'll be released from Guantanamo Bay. I mean, the ban. But until that time, boy still munched on murder. Still lining up in the moment. Mm-hmm. Karkaroff sits up as much as he can. The chains kind of hold him down, so like I said, it's making him sort of slouch. Yeah. And he says that he wishes to be of use to the ministry as they try to round up the last of the Dark Lord's supporters. Hmm. And his nose is getting really brown. A little bit. Because he says he's eager to assist. I think you mean he's Igor to assist. (laughs) (laughs) He is Igor to assist. (laughs) Although somebody does not think he actually is and just goes filth. And Harry looks around to see where it's coming from. And it turns out to be coming from a younger, well, he doesn't really look younger, but he does still have two eyes. Mad-Eye Moody. So is his name just Mad Moody then? If he's got two normal eyes, he wouldn't be Mad-Eye Moody, right? Yeah, I kind of wonder what they called him before then. Just Moody. I mean, Moody's boring, but I feel like he had a good nickname. Katarina Bitch Tits? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just going off the fly here. Moving on. Anywho, Mad Moody quietly tells Dumbledore that Crouch made a deal with Karkaroff and they're going to let him out of the ban if he gives them enough new names. Bitch is going to snitch. Bitch is going to snitch. So Mm -hmm. it is still similar. He also goes on to say that he thinks they should just hear the information and throw him back in the ban. Well, yeah. (laughs) He's like, this bitch ass deserves those dementors. And Dumbledore makes this noise. I imagine it being in his 
like nose throat type <clears throat> i don't know what it is <laughs> it's a noise of dissent <laughs> yeah and moody's like oh that's right you don't like the dementors well to be fair they are kind of dicks not just kinda yeah well i was being nice you don't need to be nice to dementors they fucking fly <laughs> they do not fucking fly <laughs> ellen anyway they return their attention to crouch and he's like all right so you got names let's hear them dude and Karkaroff starts going, well, you know who operated in the greatest of secrecy. So I and all of us didn't actually know everybody else's names. Oh, how convenient. So I can't really give you all of the names. In the movie, Karkaroff agrees to these terms since there is obviously no honor among eaters of death. He then begins listing off names of his murder-munching amigos, beginning with Rosier, Evan Rosier. Crouch tells him that Evan Rosier is dead, which sucks for him. And sucks for Karkaroff, because now he's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and Karkaroff begins to panic and racks his brain for more names as a young-ish Mad-Eye Moody. I mean, you know, the movie doesn't really make him young, but he's less gnarled. Ish. Ish, Yeah. But he leans forward to Dumbledore, commenting that Rosier took a piece of him with him on the way out, didn't he? And points to his little missing piece on his nose. Which was also in the book. It was. But so Karkaroff is scrambling and he comes up with Rookwood. We then see a much more muted Rita Skeeter taking note. She's wearing like navy blue. She still has the blonde hair and the glasses, but she's not nearly as ostentatious. And she's taking notes... Not with her quick quotes quill, which is interesting. Yeah. But they never really go into depth about it. No. It's just. She also mm. wasn't there at this point in the book either. Yeah. We'll see her in a later memory, but as it's all one memory, I think they just mushed it all together. Mm-hmm. What? Huh? Why would they do that? Uh, no. But yeah, so Rita Skeeter's there in the movie. And Karkaroff has just named Rookwood. And Crouch looks somewhat shocked by this confession. He confirms that he means Augustus Rookwood of the Department of Mysteries. Karkaroff says, yes, that bitch was snooping and spying right under all y'all damn noses. We get more names in the book, but the results are basically the same. Since Karkaroff's all busy being like, greatest secrecy, I don't know all of the names. <laughs> Crouch is like... But you do have some, right? You're not just wasting all of our time right now. Mm -hmm. And Karkaroff is like, yes, yes, I do. And he says that I give this information as a sign that I fully renounce the Dark Lord and that I'm filled with deep remorse for my actions. And Crouch is just like, would you just give us the names already? Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Yes. Hmm. But he finally just takes a deep breath and says, Antonin Dolohov. So that was a name that wasn't mentioned mm -hmm. in the movie. And we learned that he's already been apprehended. He's late to the party. And Karkoff is just like, oh, that's wonderful news. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so he's just like, Evan Rossier. And that is a name that we also did here in the movie. Mm -hmm. And Crouch tells him, just like in the movie, that Rosier's dead. Yep. Killed in the struggle as they tried to take him in. And as we already mentioned, just like in the movie, Moody points out the chunk he took out of his nose. Yeah. So we definitely have some 
things taken straight from the book and put into the movie. Yeah, a youngish Mad-Eye, who's still a Mad-Eye because he has his Mad-Eye, doesn't have his normal eye still. Maybe they were afraid we wouldn't recognize him without it. Yeah, because there's no way we would recognize that crotchety old bastard anywhere. Well, you know, movies like to spoon feed us things. (laughs) Oh boy, do they. We'll get to that. Karkaroff is completely panicking now because two of his names aren't good. And so he just like rattles off Travers, Mulsiber, and Rookwood. All spies. Mm -hmm. They all did bad things with the murder munching. Mm -hmm. And the way that the crowd reacts when he says Rookwood (gasps) is the moment that everyone realizes he struck gold. Mm -hmm. There's a name that surprised them all. They didn't know that one. He wasn't apprehended. He wasn't killed. Yep, they don't know about him at all. Here's something useful. And Crouch is like, do you mean Augustus Rookwood of the Department of Mysteries? Which was our trivia question. Yep. And Karkaroff's like, yes, yes, I do. He's a spy. He passed information to you-know-who. Very much like the movie. Yep. In the movie, Crouch goes on to tell him that that's all well and good, but they can't do anything for him until it's confirmed. So it's back to the band for him and his gingivitis. <laughs> Aside from the extra names, this is similar to the movie. Mm-hmm. Mr. Crouch tells them they already have Travers and Malsaber, which obviously they couldn't include in the movie because they didn't include those names in the movie. Yeah. But he does say they will return him to the band while they decide. And Karkaroff is just like, nope, got more names. <laughs> Severus Snape. 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 Severus Snape. Dumbledore. Who jumps the fuck up when this happens in the movie. Because <laughs> it does happen in the movie. Because this actually does happen in the movie, yes. Yeah, when Snape's name is brought up, he hops right up and he just starts shouting that he was, but now he isn't. And he just wishes a bitch would say something else about Sev because he came here to defend the fuck out of Snape and chew bubblegum. But wouldn't you know it, he's all out of juicy fruit. Meanwhile, everyone else in the room rolls their eyes harder than Mad-Eye Moody because... Everyone's probably heard this a million times over by now. But it worked. True. I mean, Snape wasn't arrested. That's very true. But also in the book, first Crouch tells him that the council already cleared Snape. And Karkaroff keeps shouting. He's just like, no, Severus Snape is a murder muncher. Mm-hmm. And then Dumbledore stands up having none of that shit. And he's just like, as this council knows... I've already given evidence on this matter, but here I am doing it again because apparently Karkaroff deserves an explanation. (laughs) Snape was a murder muncher, but rejoined our side before Lord Voldemort's downfall and turned spy for us at his own great personal risk. Hmm. And Harry looks at Mad-Eye, who rolls his eye really hard. Yeah, because he can. And Crouch again says that he's going to review Karkaroff's case. At this point, his voice sort of fades away and the dungeon just dissolves into swirling darkness and then reforms back in the same room. But Harry is in a different seat. Yeah, and this is where the changes really start to become more apparent. Because, well, there is no change. At least no change in the courtroom. He's still there. (laughs) In the same place. Yeah, same spot, everything. Nothing has changed there. Instead, Hullabaloo breaks out in the courtroom when Karkaroff says that that greasy lion bitch is still all about the evil life. And Dumbledore gets ready to throw some hands, because he's just sick of that shit. 
Crouch bangs his gavel and tells everyone to sit the fuck down and chill the fuck out. And if he's not gonna help, it's back to the band for a little seven minutes in hell with a Dementor. Because he is not here for that. Yeah, the movie cuts out a whole section that Harry meddles in here. What? Because in the new scene that formed around Harry, even though it's the same place, the atmosphere is much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. There's still a ton of witches and wizards there, but they're all talking to one another like they're at a sports game instead of being at a trial, which is what it basically is. Yeah, they're chattering. They're chattering. Mm-hmm. When Harry looks around, he notices a younger Rita Skeeter across the way. She still has her blonde hair, but unlike the way they showed it in the movie, she's still extremely ostentatious and the fucking peacocks in her magenta robes and sucking on the end of her acid green quill, which we know is the quick quote squill. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the movie, I don't know if they put her in darker clothes just to show that it was a memory because they like to play with the mutedness of it. Maybe. Maybe they couldn't find, like, a muted... Magenta? Acid green. (laughs) Muted magenta. Maybe pea soup just wasn't her color. No. I don't know. But it was weird. Yeah. But she is actually in this memory, so I can see why they included her in the movie one. In this, Mr. Crouch looks extremely tired. He's gaunt. And he looks very fierce. So it shows Harry that it, this is a different day. There's people there that weren't there before. He's in a different place. Mr. Crouch looks like he aged five years. Mm-hmm. This time when the door opens in the corner, it's Ludo Bagman who walks in. Wait, what? But this Ludo Bagman not only is younger, he is also taller, leaner, and muscular. Ooh, sexy Ludo. Sexy Ludo. Height of his Quidditch career, Ludo. Ooh. Hello, Ludo. He looks very nervous as he sits in the chair, but the chains don't actually bind him. So he seems to relax a little bit and it actually feels comfortable enough to look around and wave at a few witches in the crowd. So it's more like he's on a talk show almost. Right? (laughs) Mr. Crouch says that he's been brought in front of the Council of Magic to answer charges relating to activities with murder munchers and wants to know if he has anything to add to his testimony before they pronounce judgment. Harry's just sitting there like, Ludo Bagman's a murder muncher? I mean, here it kind of makes sense then that they cut this out of the movie since they completely cut out Ludo Bagman yeah. in general. So. There's no point in including it then. Mm-hmm. But the Quidditch player, he just sort of sits up and he's like, well, yeah, I've been a little bit of an idiot. He's such a chode. <laughs> and... Several witches and wizards smile very indulgently at him. Although Moody's like, boy, you've never spoken a truer word. (laughs) Boy, I said boy. (laughs) And he mutters that to Dumbledore. Crouch also does not seem to have any feeling of indulgence towards Bagman. So he just goes on to say that Ludovic Bagman was caught passing information to Lord Voldemort's supporters And Bagman's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I'm telling you, I had no idea. Rookwood was an old friend of my dad's and it never crossed my mind he'd be in with you know who. Plus, he kept saying he was going to get me a job at the ministry. I can't keep getting hit with bludgers all my life. Some point I got to retire and then what am I going to do? Game show host? He'd probably be good at that too. He would. (laughs) 
But when he makes that comment about not getting hit by bludgers for the rest of his life, the crowd titters. Of course they do. They just indulge everything. He's clearly very popular. Mm -hmm. And it becomes even more clear just how popular when Crouch is just like, all right, who votes in favor of imprisonment and not a single hand moves? Like one dude, he had an itch on his head and he was afraid to scratch it because he didn't want to accidentally look like he was voting against him. Yeah. <laughs> That's so celebrity culture. Yes. Oh, it makes me sad. One which even stands up to say, congratulations on your splendid performance for England against Turkey last week. Ugh. And then Mr. Crouch is just super pissed and tells Dumbledore it will be a sad day when Ludo Bagman joins the ministry, which, as we know, that sad day arrived. Oh, Lordy. I wonder who got him the job since Rookwood was a murder muncher. Very true. It'd be really funny if it was actually Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> but the dungeon dissolves again. And this time when it comes back, Harry and Dumbledore are sitting next to Mr. Crouch and a frail witch, a wispy blonde witch, who's sobbing, dry sobs, so loudly that it's a little ridiculous in this otherwise quiet room. Crouch also looks worse than he's looked in any of the other memories as he calls for the Dementors to bring them in. This technically lines the book back up with the movie, but there is little to nothing the same here, since... It isn't a new scene. It's all part of the original one that Harry was sucked into. Yeah. In the book, the door in the corner opens. And this time, six Dementors come in. And they have a group of four prisoners. So there's also four chained chairs in the middle to accommodate the change. Mm -hmm. There's a thick-set man. A nervous-looking thinner man. A woman with thick, dark hair and hooded eyes, who we all know who that is, even though we haven't officially met her yet. Mm -hmm. I love that little, like, you're going to meet this woman later. Right. <laughs> We're just going to pepper her in here right, right. now. Mm -hmm. And a younger, pale boy who seems to be like maybe 19 with straw colored hair. And I want to emphasize that when we get to the movie counterpart. <laughs> Straw-colored hair. Crouch stands and announces that they've been brought before the Council of Magical Law for the extremely heinous crime of torturing the Aura Frank Longbottom with the Cruciatus Curse. And the sandy-haired boy begins to plead with Mr. Crouch, begging him, saying, Father, Father, I didn't do it. Don't send me back to the Dementors. Did he just say father? So obviously we are to assume that this young boy is, in fact, Crouch's son that we heard about from Sirius mm -hmm. in the book. Obviously not the movie. Yep. Explains his cold demeanor, too. Yes. And as the boy keeps yelling his innocence, Crouch just yells over him. Sure. And says that they're also accused of using the Cruciatus curse on Longbottom's wife, Alice. And they were attempting to get information to restore he who must not be named to power. Them are some pretty hefty charges there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And since Mr. Crouch is just completely ignoring his son, the boy begins screaming towards his mother instead. Causing the wispy blonde to start rocking back and forth on the bench. As a mom, I can kind of, I can... 
oh, not even kind of. Not a mom. Totally understand. Yeah, I feel that, like, hard. Crouch just continues yelling over the screaming and wants to know if the jury agrees that they all deserve a life sentence in the ban. And it's all just total unison. Yeah. They all just raise their hands. Barty Crouch Jr. continues screaming that he didn't do it. As the Dementors come back into the room, not flying, they glide. Because they don't fly. And the other three prisoners, just they're not protesting. They just stand. They're like, yep, we got caught. Mm -hmm. But the woman with the heavy lidded eyes looks directly at Crouch. And it's just like, you know what? The Dark Lord's going to rise again. And we're going to be rewarded above everybody else because we alone were faithful. And we let ourselves get captured instead of denouncing him or lying. I mean, except for the sandy-haired boy. <laughs> except for the sandy-haired boy who continues to yell and struggles with the Dementors. But to be fair, I think it's pretty sociopathic when you don't struggle against Dementors because they're fucking Dementors. Well, that attracts mm -hmm. for what we know about this woman. The other two we never really learned that much about. But no. as the boy is yelling and struggling with the Dementors, he looks right at his dad and he's just like, I'm your son. And Crouch is just like... You are not my son. I have no son. That's cold. Yeah, his wife faints. Just completely faints in the seat right beside him. Understandably. Although Crouch doesn't notice. He's too busy yelling for the Dementors to take them all away. And Barty Crouch Jr. continues to plead with his father and insists that he wasn't involved. Yeah. This is totally different in the movie. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> completely. Karkarov gets eerily calm. And stares down Crouch as he tells him he has one more name to share with the class. This is a person who is so shitty that he helped capture and torture the sanity out of the Longbottoms. Now, that is sort of similar. Yes. Streamlined, but similar. Yes. And it's again, it's all coming from Karkaroff. Right. So there's That's that. That's different, but... Yeah. As Crouch demands the name... A well-dressed man stands up from the crowd and starts to make his way out of the courtroom, like real slick. <laughs> it was like the sneaking out. They'll never notice me, especially not with this giant mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before he makes it too far with, you know, his amazing attempt at escape. Not at all suspicious attempt at escape. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Karkaroff yells out, Barty Crouch! And the man freezes in his tracks. Suspiciously. Yes. And then Rita Skeeter's mouth drops open. And everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what? And Barty Crouch is like, oh, not me. Are what? You, why, why are you accusing me? I didn't, do, I didn't do shit, guy. What are you doing? The fuck? And then Karkaroff kind of leans in. Like, pushing his face against these spikes, which... Little intense. Way to add effect, guy. Yeah. Man. Whew. But yeah, he pushes his face against these spikes, and he just says, Junior. And the crowd goes fucking wild. And the well-dressed man makes a mad dash for the exit, but is thwarted by Mad-Eye Moody, who still has his mad eye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
and he casts a spell at him and it knocks him into all those papers. Like we said, guys, y'all need a better filing system. Oh, yeah, that just fucked all that all up. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being the paralegal that has to clean all that shit up? It's probably a house elf. Probably. But yeah, Mad-Eye Moody casts a spell, knocks Barty Crouch Jr. into all the people and all the papers. Everything goes flying. And several men are able to restrain him, grab him by the arms, and the rest of the onlookers are just... <gasps> Le gasp! Oh, my stars! Oh, my stars! Oh, my stars! It's a man! But can we just pause here and comment on how the fact that it is a man! It's a man! And not a teenage boy? No, not at all a teenage boy. And we are going to talk more about this at the end of this section because I love me some David Tennant. Love. And I think that he was phenomenal in this role the way they wrote it. Mm -hmm. But good Lord, is that not any way, shape or form how I imagine Barty Crouch Jr. No, not even, not even a little tiny bit. Not even a little bit. Granted, I had no issue taking in all the sights of him in that three-piece suit, but... Oh, I accepted it very quickly. Oh, it was gorgeous. However, that was not a 19-year-old boy. With straw-colored hair. Yeah, not at all. And he doesn't sound like a 19-year-old boy either. He's not sniveling. He's not... He's straight up fighting, and he's just like... Get your filthy hands off me, you pathetic little men. Yeah, this is probably the biggest difference in the entire movie. Yeah. Because this is just a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Different character entirely. And it changes the way that you feel for the character, too. Mm -hmm. When it's a 19-year-old boy who's sobbing and sobbing, and I'm your son, I'm your son, I'm your son, you feel for it. Like, you read that book and you're like, holy fuck, Crouch is a dick. Yeah. You watch this movie and you're like, holy fuck, Crouch Jr. is a dick. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. A handsome dick. Yeah. <laughs> He's a dick in a three-piece suit, but that boy's a dick. And there is not an ounce of sniveling. Mm-mm. No. No sobbing. No crying. No begging. No pleading. No denial. No. He smiles at his dad. He smiles at Crouch. And, 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 and what else does he do? Oh, we'll tell you. A quick little flick of the tongue right to the corner of his mouth a couple times. And it was in this moment in the movie that anybody who was paying attention to anything and hadn't read the books was just like, oh shit, Moody's not Moody. Mm-hmm. When you weren't supposed to find that out yet. The only problem with that is it was just too soon. Too soon. Hashtag too soon? Hashtag too soon. Too goddamn soon. Effective. Yeah. Especially because we literally just saw Moody do it. If they would have had Moody do that in the beginning, like when he first showed up at Hogwarts. Subtly. Subtly something. Even if they had just left it with the one that he did in Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Mm-hmm. But they did. They had him do it right there in front of his father. Yeah. Which made his father recognize him. Yep. And I don't know that we needed that clue. It spoon fed us too much. Oh, my God. It didn't spoon feed, Ellen. It force fed. It force spoon fed. It like, really did. Like they shoved the whole spoon down our throats. We don't need that much of a hint, guys. Because no. it's not a hint. You literally just gave it all away. I will say, though, that... It was a good oh shit moment. It was. But it was too soon. 
it was at the wrong time. We're still hashtag too sooning it. Definitely. But Crouch Sr. acts the same way with the you are no son of mine. And you get that same idea, but it's not nearly the same. Well, of course he's denying fathership to that guy. Well, yeah, because that guy's a three-piece suited bag of dicks. Yeah. Facts. But this is where the movie scene ends, thank God, because oof, that was a lot. That was a lot. It's <laughs> a lot, a lot. The book chapter basically ends here, too, but there is one last thing. Mm-hmm. Harry hears a voice say, I think it's time to return to my office. And he turns and he sees Albus Dumbledore sitting on his right and Albus Dumbledore standing on his left. And that Albus Dumbledore is looking right at him. Directly at him. So Harry Potter just got caught meddling. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned. We'll talk about what happens next week. Same Potter time. Same Potter podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But since this is the official, official introduction of Barty Crouch Jr., this is where we're going to be talking about David Tennant. Swoon! I love David Tennant so much. I love David Tennant so much. And you know what? Here's the funny thing is there is a picture of him when he was younger, when he was about 19, and he has straw-colored hair. It would have been perfect. It was just a little too old for it. If only we could go back in time. And to be honest, I don't know if they rewrote the part for David Tennant or mm -hmm. if they wrote that part and was like, David Tennant would be perfect for this. I don't know which order that happened in. Yeah. Because they had to have rewritten it. That's not the same character. No, not at all. He just has the same name. But the fact that it was so different, he was clearly aged up, his attitude was different, and it's something that David Tennant is really good at. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It makes me think that they were like, we need to put David Tennant in one of these movies. Who can he be? Oh, let's rewrite Barty Crouch Jr. so he can be the villain, because David Tennant makes a fucking fantastic villain. Yeah. And you know what? He really does. He really does. He also makes a really adorable romantic lead. He does. But his character acting is so well done. It's just... He's incredible. He's a chameleon. He's amazing. I just love him so much. The fact that he wasn't a 19-year-old boy is not his fault. No, it's not. We love him. He was phenomenal, even if it wasn't the Barty Crouch Jr. we were expecting. Yes. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Ponderings, which we have two. Our first one is, what are your thoughts on the differences in Barty Crouch Jr.'s character from the book to the film? And our other one, for funsies, is make up a nickname for Mad-Eye Moody before he had the Mad-Eye. Mm-hmm. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. If you want a chance to get it in the next episode, make sure you get it to us before the Wednesday before. Mm -hmm. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. And now for our Sorting Hat story, which is from Marissa Ferris. She writes, I haven't given much thought on my wand, specifically, oddly enough, I just enjoy collecting them because then you have a really awesome relic attached to the characters. I'm a Gryffindor and my Patronus is a cat. 
So just a small piece of info about me, I'm dyslexic, which makes it really hard to read. I didn't find this out until I was in college, but growing up reading wasn't fun because I could never comprehend what I was reading. All of my friends were obsessed with reading and books, but I stayed far away. My dad wanted to go see Sorcerer's Stone when the movie came out, so he took me with him. I was about 12. I thought Ron Weasley was the cutest boy I had ever seen. My best friend had all the books, so I decided to give it a go, and I read through Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets just in time to see the Chamber of Secrets movie. I read through Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire and had to patiently wait for Order of the Phoenix. The rest is history. 20 years later, and Ron is still my favorite character, I have countless memories from book and movie releases, and I drive my husband crazy with all the wands I buy. Sidebar, I eventually graduated with an English degree, so thanks to Harry Potter, I learned how to work with my dyslexia to read and comprehend. That's awesome. Isn't it? I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Marissa, and congratulations on your degree. Hell yeah. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, how does Dumbledore respond when Harry tells him he fell asleep in divination? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word, hashtag, go on, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 30, The Pensive, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.